Folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace Hive of 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show. Comedy on Power Talk. Thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And what an honor it is to bring in somebody who I've admired from afar for some time, not only because she is a conduit to the divine, but she obviously is a very multifaceted person and somebody who I can see um, I mean, by her own name, she is liberated. And to me, that is one of the most important things in this time because we have become uh, more of a conformist society in the West, um, having to adapt to uh, dogma and uh, much more rigid thought patterns than maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago. And uh, especially as it relates to uh, the music of our culture, which is blues and jazz and modern day uh, R&B and hip hop and uh, you know the the magic of that original music is that everybody basically had their own sound and wanted their own sound uh, but what you have today is a uh, just a morass of mediocrity and also a homogenization of sound and uh, from what I can gather from my guest she's bound and determined to um, continue uh, to cultivate authentic uh, roots music modern roots music uh, and uh, and continue to inspire by being herself. Liberated Lorraine, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you very much. Lovely introduction, and I do appreciate it. I'm honored to be with you guys today. Hello to the audience. And, um, <laughs> yeah, you inspire me as well. So Yeah, I always um, look at you. I mean, I see in your eyes, um, you know, um, I don't pretend I, I don't have I'm not a vain person I don't uh, man's view of God is uh is 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 pretty uh egotistical but you know it's pretty evident that in your eyes um I can see that you are a conduit to the divine and I wanted you to talk a little bit about um you know where your ancestors um how far back you can trace the lineage of your ancestors well, sure. I will do my best. Um, really, if you want to be honest, I, I consider myself to be a Pan-Africanist. And when I talk about my ancestors, I only trace them as far as the North American continent. Uh, the, sure, the sure. Yeah, no, I know. I, mean, this is, mm -hmm. I don't expect you to go back to diaspora, you know, to Africa. But okay. I just wonder about, you know, do you have... Are you? Do you have Native American blood? Do you know where what your bloodline is? I I, I don't. I'm gonna be honest with you. I do have 
some Native American relatives, and I, I do have some Afro, I do have some Jamaican, I do, you know, my family is multi-ethnic, so multiracial, so, um, but I will say that we are, you know, very, very rich in our culture as it relates to North America. So you do know that you are, you have Native American blood, you have Caribbean, well, I mean, the, it's, I mean, that's where the slaves, that's where, that's where the cats came from Africa, they were brought here, um, but you, can you talk a little bit about growing up, like, um, most importantly, like, the spiritual uh, ceremonies that you were, you know, outside of monastic religion, you know, sort of the, um, some sort of uh, rituals or traditions, spiritual traditions that you witnessed as a child when you really, like, first encountered magic? Sure, no problem. So what kind of things that I, did I experience as a child that gave me sort of that connection with the divine? Is that what you're asking? And, well, because you are a conduit to the divine. When you, you know, when you get out of your own way and you're, there's no ego, and you, and you know, that's like the most pure, true nature of you. So my, my, my question is really like when you were inspired by what they call the, the Holy Ghost, when you witnessed something that you could not explain. Well, so I have a deep root in church, the Christian church. I don't know if this is the platform to, to expound upon that. Well, why not? I mean, that, that, go, go into it. I mean, there's the, you, you just riff away. My great, great grandfather, his name is Bishop Vernon Richardson. Oh, the bishop, man, the bishop. He was named the Bishop of Omaha, Nebraska in 1991. And so my, also my great grandfather, he is a well-known Church of God in Christ pastor. And this is the lineage that I come from. With that being said, my grandmother and her siblings, they are known and famous for a musical group called the Religious Souls. How do you spell how do you how do you spell the last word? Souls. S O U L S. Wow. Were they so they were like a, a gospel band? They were a gospel oh, band. Oh man, that is great. Kind gospel band. And then they became known as the King Cannon family. They have been in the entertainment business for as long as I can remember. However, they stay true to the spiritual and gospel roots. So you can actually even find uh, uh, their records in vinyl. Wow. They're still selling on the market. Wow. And you can find some of their songs on YouTube one song that my grandmother, Sarah King Cannon, was the lead singer, and she is deceased. We lost her in 2014, but she has several songs that are on YouTube. One of my favorite is called Looking Through the Eyes of Love, and I just want to say that my, my family, they were, they were before their time, and growing up, 
I had the privilege of sitting at the dinner table eating with people like Shirley Caesar and, you know, the Wyomans and those types of individuals. And I know that my family, the band, the Religious Souls, they have traveled all over the country singing and they would uh, do uh, music for people, uh, backup singers for people, and all of the music that they played in their songs were original. They were written by them, and everyone played instruments. Can you can you talk? I mean, to me, you know, I've done a lot of research, a lot of interviews on my show with cats like. Uh, uh, Cyril and Charlie Neville, and they talked about going to a Catholic church. I think the denomination might have been Methodist or something. It was different. It was uh, because the the uh, the priest spoke Latin, and they didn't know any Latin. So they would go to the Spirit Church, which was run by um, the Lasty family. That was in New Orleans. And, and Melvin Lasty... Um, he had a drum set on the, on the, you know, like where he gave his sermon and there was like, um, well, the rhythm coming out of there was intoxicating, but people were literally falling out of the pews. I just wonder if you had that experience early on, like where it was the sanctified music, uh, the, the, where, um, yeah, where people were, were you know, because I, I mean, there's there's this been this huge disconnect in our culture about, and it's playing out now, unfortunately, with with the virus. But what is the significance of music in modern culture? Is it to sit and stare at somebody's facility and watch them wank it, or are you supposed to liberate and let the body dance and have healing because of music? That's what the original tension of music is was. And that's what I believe your family was was ahead of the curve. And I just wonder if you, um, you know, if you if if you could talk about a, a spiritual musical experience that you had. I mean, sitting at the table with with iconic figures is one thing, which is you feel like you're in the presence of the divine. But um, did you experience um, the uh, the the spirit of the church and the, and and the and the mysticism? So we we were encouraged to 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 connect with the spirit growing up and there will be times when we would go to church we went to church on wednesday sunday and sunday night are you still with me because i'm getting it for it's breaking up no you sound perfect okay so we would go to church and the church that i grew up in was actually in denver colorado and we would go to church on Sunday, Wednesday, and Sunday night. There would be times where all we did was sang and worshipped. And we, when we would be in our, in our, what we call our, you know, place with God, yeah. and just allowing Him, allowing our yeah. our spirit to surrender to God, we saw some very amazing things transpire. We saw a lot of healing take place. We saw a lot of restoration take place. And we saw gifts birthed in our services that 
were immaculate. I mean, people would get on instruments that they had never played the instrument before, never taken a lesson, but they would get on instruments and play them perfect. <laughs> we saw people sing and their vocals would sound like angels were singing through them. So I'm very open to the 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 interact the the collective worship. I'm 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 open to collective worship. A lot of the times these days people say, Oh, it doesn't take all of that and you know, when I worship I kinda keep to myself and I keep quiet and it's you know, I'm you know, they do it, you know, from their mind. But we were encouraged to involve with the collective and when we did that, I feel like there was a sort of energy um, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but the energy would get so high that things that people dealt with or were oppressed by when they came to the church, when they left, they no longer felt that oppression. And I strongly, I, I know from face value that we experience healing from wheelchairs. We experience healing from blindness we've experienced healing from physical ailment, other physical ailments in the body. So when people say that collective worship is obsolete and unnecessary or it's not real, I totally disagree with that. I, I love, I love what you're, I, by the way, you're very poetic on that answer. It was a beautiful answer. Um, I guess I, you know, this internalization of, of the and the quietude and the solitude of of prayer. I mean, that's cool. But I this is what I was getting at is this this collective, um, you know, groove that would raise the frequencies and then the overall vibration of the universe. That's kind of what you're talking about. And I just wonder um, if you specifically could recall a time in your life when uh, you came in. I mean, because the the communal aspect, you know, seeing somebody get up and play an instrument, they, they didn't even know how to play it, or <laughs> somebody getting out of a wheelchair and walking. I mean, that is phenomena, and that is witnessed. That's that's witnessed by you and the spirit. And um, but for you specifically, can you talk about a time when you were going through a lot of dis-ease, and you came into collective union with um, other people? who were all rowing in the same direction and you became healed because of it. Sure, absolutely. In my life, I think that my most memorable time of coming in counter with the divine, the Holy Spirit, is when I was 14, 14 or 15. And I'm not going to lie, at this time in life, I had went astray a little bit from what I was brought up in. I got influenced by peer pressure and was involved in things that people would say I found myself, but I, I want to say now looking back that I was even more in captivity when I was living this lifestyle. However, I was invited to a revival. And I don't know if people know the history of revivals in America, but they were birthed from William Seymour, going all the way back to Azusa. Hmm. 
And so I was invited to something like that. It was called a revival. And at this time, I was visiting God stuff. I'm good. I, I grew up with all that when I was young. And course i'm just like 15 i'm thinking i'm growing but of course you know yeah i mean i i mean were were you really i mean looking back on it was it i mean was it dogma that made you think you were sinning or were you just being a normal like experimenting teenager i was doing i was being rebellious I, i had gotten involved with the wrong crowd okay people that wanted to skip school and all right, so yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, you weren't like you weren't like selling, you know, you weren't like a crack dealer, or like you know, doing something insane or criminal. No. Did you do anything criminal? No, I wasn't doing criminal things, but I was rebelling. Yeah, you were, you were on the, to, and a lot of, and your parents, whatever, your family was like, oh, there's Lorraine going down the wrong path, right? There you go. Yeah. There you go. I started hanging out with some people who, who were, who were gang affiliated. Mm. I mean, that that was the most that I feel that I would hang out with those people. I was not a gang member, but you know, if you're not careful, like they say, show me your, your five friends and that's how you're going to end up. (laughs) So I was going astray. I was on Uh the track team and I was going astray. And what happened was I was invited to this revival in Texas and the pastor that was over the revival had came from Ohio. Well, I was thinking that I was some sort of tough girl hanging out with these young ladies that were involved with gangs. And he called me out. And I couldn't believe he called me out because he, he came directly over to me. He said, young lady, you, come, you need to come here right now. Wow. The Spirit is telling me you need to come here right wow. now. I want to talk to you. I want to pray for you. And I mean, me being in my rebellion, I told him no. I said, no, absolutely not. I I don't know you and I don't want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm afraid that if you walk out of this church today, you may not come back walking. We may bring you back in a casket. And I just kind of was, I was awestruck and I said, looked around and the church was completely silent and I saw older women praying and one of the missionaries came over to me and she started trying to get me to come forward and I told her absolutely not well what ends up happening is he begins to tell me some things about my life that I hadn't shared with anyone and I was basically planning to get involved with something with the group that I was hanging with that would have ended up landing me in jail and it was just reckless I mean it wasn't it was I think it was like going to go steal or something like that it was just reckless I understand yeah but he um told me what I was planning on doing and I didn't know this man from the man on the moon wow and when he began to speak to me he said you have such a bright future ahead of you he said I see the glory of God all over your life and he said you know, the, the enemy is trying to destroy your life. And he said, and I'm afraid if you leave out of here today, your parents will bring you back in here in a casket. And he wasn't abrasive or anything. He wasn't angry. He, his, his love is what really convicted me because I could notice that he was concerned. And 
I know I don't even, it wasn't me. My feet just started moving <laughs> and my feet started moving and I started going up to the, toward the, the altar and I was just weeping. I was just weeping and I was weeping. And before you know it, I, I had, I had just surrendered myself and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, speaking in unknown tongues. A lot of people say that that doesn't exist anymore. But I, I began to speak with unknown tongues. And from that day, about 15 years old, I began to know the divine for myself. I began to know what it was to have a relationship with the Lord, have a relationship with, with uh, Christ, the Messiah. And I'm not saying that the journey has not been difficult, but every time I'm faced with difficulty, I know I can draw to that source for strength and I can overcome anything that I'm going through. It's so powerful and your aura is so strong because I can see inside of you um, the divine at work. And I just give you so much credit for, you know, being vulnerable enough to um, take that because uh, it would have been really easy to. But I think the most important thing, Lorraine, is that when the um, when the cat that was basically, a, a, you know, being prophetic with you and saying, I don't know if you're going to make it back here and you're going to come in a casket, you felt it, right? You felt it. And you talk about people saying speaking in tongues, communal prayer, that those things don't exist. Isn't that because people have lost the ability to feel that in so many ways younger cats have more intimacy with um, technology, an inanimate object, than an actual, than, than, than the spirit, the divine, or even another human being. When people say it doesn't exist, it means they can't feel that. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? And if so, um, what would, can you talk to people about how you have led, have, how you've stayed on the righteous path by being able to feel the Holy Spirit? Yes, I will speak with that. The issue with the youth of today is that they have grown cold and they have become a lot more mental, mentally intuned. Right. They, they feel that their spirit is in tune when their mind is open up in terms of their intellect. Right, exactly. And I've heard a lot of individuals say their third eye is open. And what I've experienced with most of the individuals who say their third eye is open is that they have become addicted to information. This is the information age and they are able to access information very quickly through search engines. And so in my opinion, the spirit has became dull because everything to the young people of today is about reason and logic. Oh, you nailed it. It's in the head. It's in the thinking mind, right? It's in the it head. Is. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And in order to get in touch with your spirit, 
there has to be a childlike. Exactly. I no. I, I want you to. This is so important because I know that you are that you are part of the lineage to move forward. A lot of people would say things like, "I don't want to be preached to. I don't want to be lectured to." I really do want you to talk specifically to younger cats who are in the thinking mind, how Lorraine dropped from your head to your heart into your soul or to the spirit mind. I think it is essential because there, you're, when you think that your third eye is open based in your thinking mind, you're only on the surface. You're not getting to the primordial level or the multidimensional level of yourself. And I can see that you have... And that's not always a pretty thing, but you have accessed your multidimensional self for survival, for success, for liberation, for love. And I just want you to talk to other cats instead of telling them what they are, how can they drop below the surface into the, to the primordial gut? One thing they would have to do is they will have to allow themselves to be vulnerable they will have to allow themselves to look in, look within and say, what are some things about me that I need to deal with? Those deep, dark secrets, those insecurities, those, those days where they feel rejected. The society has taught them to numb themselves to those feelings. Exactly. We've all been through rejection. We've all been through heart, heartbreak. We've lost someone that we've loved. We have not accomplished something that we set out to accomplish the first time around. And society has taught people to numb those feelings when they feel them. But I would say allow yourself to feel Allow yourself to feel and identify emotion. And then when you identify the emotion, is it rejection? Is it hurt? Is it pain? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Then have a broken and a contrite spirit so that the divine can come in and add the supernatural healing or the supernatural wisdom or the supernatural comfort, or the supernatural wisdom to whatever that emotion is that you're dealing with in your life. I love it. I mean, there's a, that's what I see in you, is, is there's a fearless quality to you, um, that you've pushed yourself out of your comfort zone on a number of occasions. I mean, how did you, like, you made a decision at that point when you were touched by the, when you were given that sort of... Um, I don't know what the right word is, but that warning, and you heeded that warning uh, and, and, and connected with the divine and, and allowed yourself to, to, to break your heart open and cry. But I want you to talk about, um, like, you know, for someone like yourself, uh, because like you said, life has not, there have been challenges along the way, and even after that, there were tough times, and I mean, that's just life. Um, you know, in order to feel, you have to learn to sit in the mess. Imperfection is perfection. There is no perfection. It, the, the, the idea of feeling is like, if it's uncomfortable, that's not a bad thing. I mean, can you talk about like how you've learned to sit in the mess 
and allow, even if it's not comfortable, allow that stuff to wash over your soul and then realize that, you know, maybe through uh, yoga or dance or singing or whatever it is that your true nature is, you're able to cleanse yourself, but you, you really have to, you have to burn, you have to burn. It's not, this is not like a, uh, in order to get below the thinking mind, it's not always comfortable. It isn't, and to a lot of people, they're afraid to deal with that. I learned to be very courageous in dealing with that mess of a person that I sometimes find myself in because I just really, to be honest with you, I learned to take heed from my elders, and that's something that many young people today will not do. Many young people today feel like they got it all figured out, and, and it, it is because of, like I said, their intellect. You have a lot of really bright young people, smart and all that kind of stuff, but life will teach you wisdom. Huh. And because... At an early age, I, no matter what I was dealing with, I had respect for my elders, and I believed the stories that were passed down from them, the people, you know, call it, folk, you know, folklore or what have you. But I always talk to my elders when I'm going through something. A trusted elder, sure, an elder where I can see the fruit though of their life. Right, right. So. So intellect is, is a good thing. You know, you always can know a tree by the fruit that it bears. So I was fortunate to have quite a few elders around that were producing good fruit. And they're all around young people. It's just that these days our youth have developed what I would call a rebellious outlook or attitude. And I don't think it's their fault. I think it's that they have yet to find someone with the authenticity that they're looking for. But I was fortunate to find and know people with that authenticity when it came down to worship and spiritual things. And so they always encouraged me to turn to God first or meditate, get, get into a quiet place and what they would say is get in your prayer closet. Hmm. A lot of the times we're looking for answers outside. We're looking for answers in social media. We're looking for answers in books. We're looking for answers on the internet. It's very important that the young people learn to find answers within. And the only way to connect to what's inside is to get into a place of solitude and get into your prayer closet meditate don't a lot of people are afraid to be alone and i learned to love my own company there are so much going on in the world we're never unplugged and what the young people have to learn to do they have to learn to unplug and get into a place of solitude and when you get into a place of solitude yeah a lot of ugly stuff might come up yeah a lot of things about your person may be revealed to you that you didn't think was there laying dormant deep down inside. Hmm. But once you get past dealing with that ugly part of you, you're going to also realize that there's a lot of good in you 
And that's where the grace and the mercy to me has always played a part. Yeah, I know I'm ugly. Yeah, I know I have a dark side. Yeah, I know human nature is what it is. But I know that I'm loved still by the creator, by the divine, and not just by him, but multiple times in life when I was going through something, there was someone with a kind heart, an elder or a person just with kindness in their heart that came along and spoke a positive word to me. And so we have to teach the young people that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share with people you can trust those insecurities. And it is okay to say, hey, I need to get to myself and meditate or pray. I don't always have to be in the spotlight, be popular, you know, uh, be a public figure or all of that stuff. But I'm great just how I am to those that are in arm's reach that see me every day. And those are the people that I need to be an example to. So in order to do that, sometimes we just got to learn how to, like I said, get to self and meditate. And, and that's really how I learned how to tap in. That's so beautiful. I mean, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I can't say that I'm like totally locked into your point of view as it relates to modern R&B or hip hop. Um, but I do see a longing for authenticity or a reach back farther in the history. If you look at Curtis Mayfield or Marvin Gaye or Donny Hathaway, um, you know, they were singing about love. Um, it, it was, the neighborhoods were tough. They were segregated. Um, in some ways, I think that built up a lot of strength within the black community, but still the songs were not about craven desperation and thug life and, you know, only having a few avenues to escape. Um, it was really about love. And part of that was about accountability. And I just wonder, I mean, you're talking about taking, uh, you know, uh, you know, if the elders got on you, you'd take it. You wouldn't dismiss them. You wouldn't say, oh, I know everything. I mean, you were, you were humbled by it. Do you think that what we're talking about, <clears throat> this surface level of thinking mind and mm, I don't know what else to say because I, I am not um, going to pretend that I know what it's like to grow up in these neighborhoods. Um, you know, I was privileged enough enough to grow up in a, in a, in a, in a safe neighborhood, but I just, I see you getting upset on, you know, not upset. You're just, you're pointing out that, um, some of the modern day, uh, uh, R and B music is not authentic in your mind. Do you want to like extrapolate on that? And then, and then talk a little bit about if it relates to what we've been talking about, sort of the 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 ability for the youth who who now you know can really monetize themselves in this market. But what are the messages that they're sending out? Are they constructive messages? Sure, I'll elaborate on that. And I never am going to be the person to knock down a person's gift or talent. Sure. I, I, I am not that person. People can sing beautifully. They 
they rap beautifully, they dance beautifully. All of that, I believe, comes from the divine. There are turning points that I feel people have experienced when they have been influenced by materialism yeah. and commercialization. Can you give an example? Can you give an example? Well, in the... I am a hip-hop conservative is, is what I ascribe to. When I say I'm a hip-hop conservative, I feel that that music was positive and uplifting and edifying. And I feel that the change came, the turn came with the rap, gangster rap era. Yes. So... I don't. Let me ask you a question because you. I mean, let me ask you when, why, why, regardless of whether it veered off the path of authenticity or not. Why did it go from authentic, uh, you know, uh, uplifting? Um, some would even say conservative uh, hip hop to gangster rap. Why did that occur? This is my outlook, and there are no. Go ahead. Yeah, this is your interview. I want. I want your. your there are no right or wrong. I'm going to just be transparent. When you talk about hip hop, I think that there was a more of a conservative overtone for hip hop. And when I say conservative, I, I would say that people they held themselves accountable to their actions, and they held themselves accountable to a being productive members of society, a mm. standard. Mm -hmm. They didn't glorify crime, and they wanted everyone to stay in, in pocket, if you will. The, the youth, their, heart, their hearts can get out of line. They, they can go into folly, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so the music now, the rap culture, causes the children to go into folly. It, it causes them to, and, and I want to say it's almost a hypnosis type of thing. It causes them to do things and glorify crime, glorify, you know, sleeping with your neighbor's wife. You know, right. And so, so I just to, I want to be clear. What I'm hearing is there was a direct shift from taking accountability to no accountability. and then, To no accountability and being, and and being praised for. Yes. Now, this is what I would say. In a society, in American society, when you can capitalize on crime, what more or what better way to get the youth to involve themselves with crime than through the music, through art? Even art painting, you know, used to be something to give you a feeling of beauty and inspiration. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Now the art is like scary and right. It's dark. Shock. Yeah, and, and yeah. Does that mean though that? Okay, like is that has did it change? Like I don't. I just don't want to sound naive, but I mean, it just seems like we've been talking about the youth being very bright in the thinking mind, but is it? Are they in a more desperate situation than when you were growing up because maybe the family structure is broken down even more in those communities or there are oh, less avenues? I, I mean, because it's like the, yes. the, 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 the artwork is – it's scary. I don't like – like that to me is like 
that speaks to desperation and no hope. And I don't like that. Yes. There's a term that I always use. I don't, I put it on social media a few times. The ghettos of hope have turned into the ghettos of despair. Yeah. There was a time where we knew we lived in a ghetto, but we had hope that we could one day attain what you call the American dream, if you will, and get out of those conditions. And even while living in those conditions, we wanted to still maintain a level of class. We still wanted to maintain a level of keeping a clean environment and, you know, a, a family structure. One thing I will say about words, and this goes to the divine, I really believe that the power of life and death is in your words. The power of hmm. curses, the power of blessings, the, the power to prophesy, the power to 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 self-prophesy the power to take yourself from a place of of a, a poor quality of life to a higher quality of life has a lot to do with how you speak and the way you speak is according to how you think so if you are thinking on things that are negative based on what you hear you're going to speak negative things and then your life is going to resemble what you speak so a lot of people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's a lie. I well, if you, someone... because if you, if you are shrouded in, in negativity, then you will become what you say you, you are, you know, I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. More recently, I've had a personal experience here in Dallas and I'm just going to say that I met a young man that I wanted to help. I wanted to, uh, mentor him. I'm a publicist by degree and profession, and I got my degree from UTA of Arlington. And there was a young man who I met in a studio, and he was rapping. And I said, you're really talented. I said, your lyrics are sophisticated. I said, did you, I said, where'd you learn to write like that? And uh, he just developed this style of writing by aspiring to be in the music industry. But long story short, he was uh, about 19 or so. He, his father had been incarcerated. His brother had been murdered. His um, family was very, dis you know, it, it had been um, broken up. Mm. But I said, hey, let me help you. And, you know, let's clean up your words, your lyrics. And I want to introduce you to, to, to some people. And I introduced him to a friend of mine named Nico. He's a producer. Um, he's a, a, a white guy. And uh, he's he's very skilled at what he does and I bought this young kid to a studio I said hey I want you to meet this kid he's he's talented and Nico said yeah you know I'll bring him come have him come through and I'll do all this stuff for you for him for you Lorraine and he ends up signing a deal with another record label he puts one of his songs on YouTube they said whoever song we like we're gonna bring them on on board with us we're gonna bring them fly them down to Florida let them sign a record deal he was that kid that they chose. Well, I noticed that when he got with them, his music became darker. He became he started putting um, more misogynistic lyrics in his music. He began to play with guns in his music. He became a gangster, more of a gangster in his music. He had a past of being a gangster, but he was trying to change. Sad to say, 
that two weeks ago I found out that this kid is on is being um, charged with murder. He's on trial for murder right now. So you're, I mean, what I'm what I'm hearing is that in order to for he got signed to a, a record deal, but in order to to meet the bottom line, the racket. The, the, cat, the business cat said, no, no, you got to go towards these this gangster mentality because it's going to sell more. But in doing so, it corrupted his entire life force and 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 purpose, basically. Absolutely. It, it was, to me, he self-prophesied his destiny. Is there, is there, like, why, I guess, this is not, I mean, all you did was introduce him to a producer and then he caught a track and then you kind of had no, I just, are there avenues in modern day R and B where you can not get corrupted with a self-fulfilling art? Like, is, is that the only avenue that seems to me to be a major issue when you have talented cats who just by by their true nature can write, or they just have sophistication in their writing. But then is there, is there an avenue where they will not, corrupt themselves in a self-fulfilling way or is it or literally you're just an indie artist at that point and just just basically struggling to make a living well like i said the ghettos of hope have become ghettos of despair and his main reply to me you know he's he goes and signs this 360 deal for fifty thousand dollars kid is 19 years old he and I were together. I said, well, you know, you, you're going to have to, you know, find a job and, you know, do some grunt work. And it's the delayed gratification is what I would say. Right. The youth of today do not want to accept delayed gratification. And I feel that that was something that those of old times and those in the poor neighborhoods were willing to accept. We're here now, but with hard work and dedication and making the right choices and, and decisions, we can get out of this situation. If we become productive members of society and, you know, go to, you know, clean up our selves and keep our peers held accountable, we can become productive members of society. This too shall pass. This young man told me he was tired of looking for a job and getting turned down. He didn't have hope that he was going to find a job, and he had a little brother and his mother that he wanted to make proud, and he wanted to help his mother pay bills. And so he felt that this $50,000 360 deal was going to be the path to him becoming a provider for his family. Um, then, then, I mean, do you feel like at a certain point, is it as diabolical as I believe it is where you get to a certain point when, you know, it's like, Hey man, if you're really going to be a, a gangster rapper, you got to actually do the D you got to kill someone. You got to murder someone. Like, isn't, isn't that where it goes next? I mean, where, how does it go from what looks to be security to then being corrupted by the messages that you're being forced to sing because it's going to sell records to, well, you got to one off somebody in order to be a credible gangster rapper. Does it go into that realm? What I think ends up happening 
is because these kids grow up wanting authenticity so bad. Mm. They grow up saying, I'm real. I'm, I'm real. Uh, you know, I'm the real deal. Everything that I, I say, I do, I live by. And I feel that that is what they are captured. That that is, someone knows that that is their mentality and someone comes and capitalizes on that. So the moment they're talking about some stuff in their music, somebody pulls their card and says, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. I know who you are. You, you selling these records and saying you did all this stuff. We know you didn't do any of those things. Mm. So now at this point, because they don't want to look like they're not authentic and because they feel like they have something to prove, this is where I feel it seeps in to where now they got to prove themselves. And I feel like those who are controlling the industry they also know this. Of course they do. In fact, th this is really... In I, you know, Lorraine, I want you to talk to... I mean, we are coming up on Thanksgiving, and I'm so humbled to connect with you like this, and I, I give thanks to the, to the divine for it. Um, but I... You know, what is the... Th what would your life have looked like if you would stay, what is, what is the life of a, of a girl, young woman in a gang? What, I mean, what, and, and what would you say, are, is that, and are you, are they, once they're in a cert, at a certain point, is there any way out? Or what, if there is, what would you say to young women who are going to hear this today, tomorrow, or after we've left this planet? about if they have the opportunity, how to get out of a gang? Mm. Wow. Because, that you know, you, 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 yeah, because you, you, um, you were in a gang, although you weren't really doing anything criminal, but you were hanging out with these cats and then, and then you had an intervention of sorts, um, and, uh, a, re a revival and then, um, you were able to sort of, you know, get off that track and you weren't, there wasn't a bounty on your head and you weren't, you know, you know, like, you know, like a target. But I, if, I guess here's, it's two questions. Is it at a certain point, do you cross a Rubicon when there's no going back if you're a girl in a gang? And if so, what is your message to those cats who have not yet crossed that Rubicon? on how to get out and why it's important to get out. I will say this, that anytime you decide to become a part of something in that gang or mob or cartel, or it'll take you further than you want to go and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. Hmm. If at any point you decide to say no to furthering that 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 pit to deepening that pit you're going to have to change your entire surroundings you're going to have to almost become 
uh, obsolete almost. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, or just be willing to, almost be willing to, to just go to the beat of your own drum, and be. You're, you're gonna have to. You're gonna. You're gonna have to be ready to experience the being rejected, mm-hmm. the criticizing, the ostracizing. You're gonna have to be able to tolerate not being popular. You're gonna have to go into all of those you're going to have to experience all of those emotions that don't feel good to the flesh you're not going to be popular with those people anymore matter a matter of fact you're, you're going to really be seen as an enemy to to the, to that way of life hmm. and i told a, a young lady i said the world loves their own and once you're no longer identified as one of them, you become an enemy because there's so many layers to this kind of life. Um, I don't really want to get into it. It's fine. No, I guess maybe to the point is that um, you, how did you get spared? I mean, you went through a lot of rejection or, or you know, you were out of the these cliques, but were you were you ever – did you ever feel like your life was in danger or do you feel like, because I think that's the, the scariest part is that um, you have young kids killing younger kids now. Um, I just wonder if, um, you know, aside from yeah, losing friends or developing a whole new social dynamic or just breaking away, I mean, did you ever feel that when you made the decision to align yourself with the spirit uh, that you ever really felt that your life was in danger? I, I will tell you that I felt that I was no longer accepted and that if I didn't make a rapid transition that it could have become dangerous to my person. So my 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 mother moved to a whole different side of town. Wow. And end up we end up moving to the suburbs, and I was introduced to. Uh, I had another divine intervention. Um, cool. My teachers, my counselors. I got back in school. I decided that my education was really important, and these teachers and counselors, and they were not um, African Americans. Just gonna be honest with you. They they were, uh, they were they were they were white Americans, mm-hmm. and they believed in me, and they they had an understanding of you know the inner city. I, I don't know if it was from their education or if it was from their you know spirit, but they understood they understood what was going on in the inner city, and they. They want. They did not want me. They didn't want to see me go back to that path in life, and they they helped me. And you were at a point when you were really. Um, I give you a lot of credit because you were still young, but you were not cutting up, or I mean, you really were motivated to. I mean, it was every, everybody was working in the same direction, right? I mean, they. You sort of just not that you didn't have other things and but i mean you wanted to um 
you didn't want to please them, but you wanted to to strive uh, to be a better person. So they were able to, I mean, they could see that in you. I mean, you were very workable. I mean, I think it's really interesting that because I'm not, I, I, I mean, listen, I mean, this country, 400 years, um, cats came over. Um, of course, there were plenty of um, black people in the States before slavery. There were plenty of Native Americans. They were the original people here. Um, but when the slaves showed up, um, the plantation owners justified to the indentured servants. The indentured servants uh, didn't, couldn't understand how they could you know, enslave people. And they said, well, these people are not Christian. Uh, if they were, their skin would be white. And so if they spoke their native tongue, they'd have their tongues cut out. If they played the drum as a slave was caught with the drum, you'd have your hands cut off. Um, obviously, they worked and were slaves on plantations and worked to death and and abused. And then when there was, quote unquote, the end of slavery, 40 acres and a mule to each slave, that never happened. And on and on and on and on. So, the, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues people call it racism I, I i've interviewed so many cats from all over the world that i just don't really like using that word because i believe we're all one human race but that being said the only way we're going to move forward is by resolving some of these these long-standing sins of this country and i know what you're saying where that you know you got with some white folks who were channeling you to a better place um and i recognize it's not as simple as you know white superiority um but versus you know i guess what i'm just trying to say i'm trying to ask you is like where where, where does the accountability have to come from the systemic bias of white america for black people to um, not because I feel like they get discouraged easily, they give up easily, and there's just so much resentment from all the past history that they just say, "I don't want to. I don't want to conform to America." You said the word America before, like the American dream, and I would think that it's Lorraine's dream, not America. I mean, America, it's white power. I mean, at the core, the police, the courts, the family structure. Everything is geared towards white superiority. That being said, there are many people that are just looking to try to heal the world. And you know, those, and, and so you can't paint everybody with a broad brush. What are the things? Absolutely not. So, I mean, I, I t- just tell me, tell this. me, I, I mean, I, yeah. I just, I just, I'm just rambling on, but I do, I want you no, to say, no, 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 what right, I want you to right. say is like, what needs to happen in white power, white authority in the systemic institutional bias that -hmm. needs to change and then what do people of color need to be accountable for in order because it doesn't it's not just one or the other and that's why when i see you and i see what you the content you put out and i can see your aura you are an angel so you're basically trying to bridge these two gaps with objectivity and authenticity so Lay it out for the folks. What, 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 how do people need to step up? Well, <clears throat> this is this is a very interesting question. 
you know, you've asked me and I've pondered on it for some time. And I think basically what you're asking is how do we move past our birth defect of slavery? Yeah, well, I, I, you see, I don't know if we can move past anything without resolving it. So you go ahead. You can riff on. I mean, it has to be you mm-hmm. can't you have to resolve something. And so mm-hmm. is, is that is that reparations? Is that uh, I mean, it seems almost impossible to not defund the police, but turn into peace officers instead of, you know, police officers. That being said, we have all these, you know, such lax gun rules. It's very complicated. But the point is, it seems insurmountable is complicated. There was a time when I thought on the lower conscious and the spiritual journey that I've been that I I have been on has impacted me in two ways. It has impacted my spirit and it's also impacted my intellect. Yes. I don't feel like you truly come into a, 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 a connection with the divine if the spirit, if your spirit person doesn't at some point impact your intellect. And so what these white people did for me, these teachers and, and counselors, they began to give me material and and help me to identify some areas that I was struggling with. And they started to direct me to people who were positive influences in the black community from slavery in spite of, of the challenges that we face. Now, growing up as a Christian, growing up in that spiritual environment, I've always believed in good and evil. And in everything you deal with in life, there's good and evil. People say, for example, money's the root of all evil. But I tell people money's a tool. If a good person gets money, they're going to do good with it. If a bad person gets money, they're going to do bad with it. Mm. To this point, there are people in this country from both sides who were impacted by the Atlantic slave trade in one or two ways, a positive way or a negative way, a good way or an evil way. And you can't clump everyone into one. There are white supremacists. There are police officers who are racist. There are police officers who have partaken in brutality. Black hatred and all of these things. One thing I feel about good, love, unity, people of all colors, all races, all nationalities can come together in one spirit around that commonality. When you try to group all white people as racist, all white people as supremacist, all white people that is a character flaw because you have to take each and every person you have to let every tub sit on its own bottom therefore i will say when these white teachers and individuals dealt with me they dealt with me from a place and they urged me and they told me that they didn't believe in the slave trade that is wrong and supremacy and racism so they 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 started the conversation out right and they let me know where they stood and that helped to disarm me and trust them 
And then when I started to learn about people like Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington and Marcus Garvey and Harriet Tubman and all these leaders of the race who, in spite of the black laws and Jim Crow and segregation and all these things, they acknowledged the friendships that they had with certain white people and they acknowledged the love and the bonds that they built with other abolitionists who weren't all uh, African-American. There were white folks who took a very big part in abolition. Right. The problem is like the, the problem is the only thing that we read so, about in our in our history books is the white is John Brown. We don't hear about the black heroes. That's part of this. Anyway, conti- continue. There you go. And so when I, when I when I also learned about William Seymour, the revival, I learned how blacks and whites and immigrants from all over came together to experience that impact uh, with God and that, you know, that divine. If you are not wise enough or in tune enough to connect with people who have love and bring back, and you're not there to look at a person's skin and say automatically they're against you, you have a lot of growing up to do. And you have no idea really what it means to be woke or be in tune with your spirit because you have to let every tub sit on its own body. Right. And that's all I would say to this. You know, um, I'd really love to do part two with you um, in the near future. I just, I'd like you to talk about um, in general, uh, you know, how you have not allowed your overtime, you know, because um, we are all human animals at this, at, in, to a certain degree and we can treat, we treat each other like animals sometimes and um, we're not as evolved as we portray ourselves to be. And there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of lonely avenues and you have to kind of continually just pick yourself up and dust yourself off and keep moving forward. And I just wanted you to talk to the audience about, um, because you give a lot and you, um, you know, you are somebody who is, well, like the cat you saw before, when you see somebody who's has potential, you try to help them. So you're a giver, but, um, how have you allowed your heart to stay open to receive love? Because I see a lot of people who have the divine, a deep connection with the divine, but because they've had a lot of trauma, they've closed their heart. And so they've lost that aura, but you have not. And I just want to know how you've l- learned to, st- to remain Absolutely. vulnerable. Yes, love is the most a act of courage and giving uh, another person a chance after someone has hurt you, that's an act of courage. And the indoctrination that people have received through our institutions 
have taught us that you're more courageous when you shut down and you won't let people get close to you. Um, when I talk about being authentic, I tell people all the time that I can only uh, tell people what I've actually done. If you're going to say you're lying, if you're going to say that you're courageous, you're going to have to do yourself off anytime you're, you experience hurt, disappointment, or pain. Our society has taught us to avoid it, but no great accomplishment has been attained. Is a conscious church. People from all walks of life, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic, whatever you want to call it, these people have the courage enough to be vulnerable and get together and make something beautiful of this. We, we, we're not. And that's what love is all about. When people say they want unconditional love, they really, truly do not understand what that means. <laughs> yeah. You have to learn how to get over hurt, pain, and you have to be courageous enough and, and realize that all Yes, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> no, you know, we're, we're having some connectivity. I, I think the spirits are at work. A lot of this stuff may not be um, suitable for the rest of the ears of the people. Um, can we do part two down the road pretty soon? If your guests um, feel comfortable with me and the way I think and all that business, yes, absolutely. All right, yeah, because uh, absolutely. I mean, I think what what you're offering is an objective, authentic, divine look at intelligent about the design of our culture and how to move forward. And I would love to explore um, solutions with you. And um, it's also just very humbling to um, connect with you. You're an incredibly wise, um, maybe shaman character. So um, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Happy, happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Bless you, mm -hmm. my friend. And we'll, uh, I'll have this God up later you tonight. As well. Yeah. You. All right, cool. I'll talk to you soon. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Right. Bless. Bye. <sighs> Deeply ensconced in the divine with Lorraine. Thank you so much for being part of the Jake Feinberg show today. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back a little bit later tonight with Aaron Spursky. Until then, peace. <laughs>